Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. All right, and it is uh, it is Tuesday, April nineteenth, two thousand and twenty-two. Yes, we we are recording uh, one of these fun new episodes that we've been doing. Uh, I guess the working title for this one is Crunch Time, just uh, based off some of the stuff that we're going to be covering. But for those of you that missed out on our last piece of news for the podcast uh, that came out a couple weeks ago, you know we're going to start doing a lot of these video game news segments, um, talking about topical things going on in the zeitgeist. Uh, doing a little release watch, talking about stuff that we're excited about, stuff that we've been doing, things that we've been getting into, uh, and cover a number of fun topics that we've discovered. Not necessarily fun, but perhaps interesting, uh, I guess, to say the least. Uh, one of my things is definitely not fun. Um, but yeah, it's time for uh, our Topical Zeitgeist episode. Yeah, and as a reminder for everyone, um, in case you're just now tuning back in, I'm having to tune out for a while. Uh, we will be doing a different schedule now for Thanks for Playing. The typical monthly schedule will be the first week of the month will be in um, what traditionally has been known as Anything's is Possible. We're scrapping that name. Don't tell yeah. corporate. But it will be an episode where we're very focused on one specific topic, um, such as the one we just released last week, which was on location-based games. And then the following week, we'll typically have a um like a episode like this. That's more zeitgeisty with what's going on with whatever in the world and kind of just more of a free-form episode. And then it'll be followed by another more specific lecture topic type of video. I don't like to call them lectures, but I mean, that's just kind of the... People have called them lectures or compared them to lectures. I think that's okay. I think think they're good lectures. And then at the end of the month, at the end of the month, we will be doing our normal game episodes. Um, So you'll be one game episode a month now. And ideally, this will give us higher quality content. That's overall. right. Yeah, we did start releasing stuff on YouTube. So we, this is we our did. first. This is our first podcast yeah. recording since launching the YouTube yeah. stuff. So that's pretty cool. You want to talk about that a little bit, Matt? Oh my goodness! Yes, I do. Hot dog. <laughs> um, I made my big. Well, not my debut, but my big official proper debut. I should say the um, the new age of thanks for playing. Yeah, we're trying to make more YouTube content, everyone. So if you haven't already, go check it out. You can find it in link to our social media. Talk about that in hot sec, but. Yeah, I uh, I made a video um, on how to make a podcast. Uh, I, w- I was merely the the cameraman. Shout out to Lucas. He did all the editing on the back end, which is stuff that I have very, very little skill in. He put together a high quality video in a matter of a couple of days. And it was something that probably would have taken me the equivalent of um, a month. Uh, <laughs> probably taken me about a month of work. So shout out to Lucas. But yeah, uh, go check it out, everyone. It's a quick six minute video um, just on how to start a podcast. If you've ever been interested in starting a podcast, I definitely recommend checking it out. Kind of also gives a little bit of insight into what to expect on the journey of, you know, having a podcast as far as the obsession with checking downloads, as well as I think some good tips in there as well with how to really have a successful launch and things of that nature yeah. acquire and acquire guests. And gear, um, like, you know, the types of mics that me and Matt use for this very mm-hmm. podcast, um, which is very useful information for a lot of people. Um, really, for those of you listening, uh, you know, you could start a podcast for less than $100 per host. Um, that's what me and Matt have done. Mm-hmm. Um, the podcast uh, distribution platform that we use is free. Uh, Riverside, which is the, you know, recording software that we use is browser based and very cheap. So yeah, I mean, I think the the barrier to entry is very low, as as is evidenced by the sheer number of podcasts that you hear about every day, <laughs> and everybody and their friend and grandma and dad starting a podcast. Um, 
before. And, and me and Matt starting a podcast. So Yeah, and again, if you want to find that, you can find that at our YouTube. If you want to find our YouTube, you can find it in any of our link trees on our social media channels. Uh, we are on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. All the social media handles are at TFP Podcasts. That's at TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. Uh, and that link tree is where you can also find a link to our Discord, which is a good, fun time. I'll talk about a lot of stuff in there. And then as well... You know, if you want to shoot us an email, thanks for pod at gmail.com. I will personally personally email you back and send you a copy of the video. Of the, right. link to the video. Love so it. I'll have that for you. But yeah, expect more YouTube content. The 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 how to start a podcast, I think that was more of a um kind of just a test run. Well, I still believe in the video. I think it's good content. It was also, I think, more of a test run for Lucas and I to see, you know, what the workflow might look like for something like this. Yeah. And to really test out the camera we got for shooting these videos. But I think you can expect more game-centric content going forward, as well as maybe some more... I, I, I've been pretty clear. With, I don't want us to turn into vloggers, but who knows? Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I I think my what one thing I would really like, and maybe the audience can kind of give us suggestions on even YouTube type of stuff. I think that taking topics that we talk about in our episodes that will maybe graze over... I'm really expanding on them and turning them into like a full-fledged episode on YouTube. Um, like, you know, we always we always reference back. It's kind of just this ongoing thing of like referencing back Outer Wilds, like doing a full video, thanks for playing style on YouTube of Outer Wilds, right? Just on that. Or very Killer focused. 7. I'd love to break down Killer 7 again. Oh, honestly. that would be that'd be great. Oberdin, you know what's crazy? I didn't even really like Killer 7 as a video game that much, but it's just so fucking unique. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And I, there's... It was, was totally like cult classic status too. It's like mm. not not super well known. But yeah, I mean, diving into like very specific things that we may like or may have found in a video game that, that we want to kind of bring out to the world um, in a more focused environment. I think that YouTube is a really, really great medium for things like that. I know that when I am, play a video game or, you know, experience, watch a movie or read a book or something, one of the first things I do is go to YouTube and just go like, okay, what did people, what are the analysis, the analysis videos for this video game or this movie that I could find online, you know? Um, I love it when my favorite podcast talks about a movie that I just saw, but I, I always do love kind of going back through, through the backlog of movies and then watching YouTube videos on, on the analysis of those things. So I would love for Thanks for Playing to become closer to that. Um, you know, obviously we're doing these podcasts every week, but since we've lightened the workload a little bit with the one game a month, um, the YouTube content is is definitely going to be be top priority there. Hundred percent, yeah, and uh, yeah. Let us know what you want to see. Whether it's more game content, more just kind of hangout content, I guess. Um, vlogs. Lucas and I have been going pretty har- pretty hard on the climbing lately. Um, my <laughs> my little fingies hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I know mine too. <laughs> uh, we, went, we had like a two hour session today. But uh, yeah, let us know what you think. Feel free to send us suggestions. Um, thanks for playing pod gmail.com. Join the Discord, hit us up wherever, or leave your review of the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, and let us know what you want, kind of content you want to see from us. We're always happy to oblige. Lucas, you're just sipping on soju so casually. I am. I love that because I'm a... I'm a, I feel I feel like I'm a degenerate soju sink, drinker <laughs> in the regards to I only drink it when it's like or <laughs> when I'm going when out it's, for KBBQ, it's KBBQ or, like, and you or if I'm in K-Town it. and we're yeah. getting karaoke it's, or something. I, I so. feel like soju's a is really great sip. Uh, no, there's actually just the the blue uh, frog Jinro uh, oh. soju. Yeah, apparently the, uh, the, the soju that you got to get. Um, I think you have a, a wider palate than I do. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good because, you know, I like... 
it's it's not heavy like if if I want to just have a sip on something. I I don't know if you ever noticed this, Matt, but I'm always sipping on something. I learned this about myself recently. I'm always either drinking coffee, um have have a, like a LaCroix or a soda or like a flavored drink or something. Mm-hmm. Um so it, you know, when we record, I might like take a sip of something or um have like a, a glass of wine going just to kind of stay loose. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way you. with gum usually, except I've realized my, my chewing makes noise uh, into the microphone. I've been called detrimental out to recording detrimental to the podcast, but right. um, that's okay. But hey, I, I have some I have some fun news. Right. I just Let's finished True Detective season one. Hell yeah. Love that. Love that yeah. a lot. Uh, real quick shout out to my barber, Andrew from, uh, in San Diego. when I used to live there, Paloma Barbershop, everyone, if you're in San Diego, I recommend hitting it up. But, uh, every, you know, he, he'd always bug me. Oh man, I gotta watch true detective. It's the best, so season, good. One of the best seasons of televisions, particularly season one. I, I don't think I'll even bother with the other seasons to be honest, but you might not. He was right. To. He was right. It was incredible watching Matt McConaughey and Woody Harrelson just kind of like be dudes hang out be dudes hate each other love each other for like a collective eight hours give or take was awesome yeah it was very interesting seeing woody harrelson in a more serious role when i think woody harrelson i go to just like what was the movie uh zombie land movies these days <laughs> you that's just think of it that's think that's of. the first thing and then i know i didn't see this movie but i know he recently played uh something cassidy or whatever, whoever is the host of Carnage in that universe for Spider-Man. Oh, um, right. He played that character. I want to say it's Fleetus Cassidy. I could be wrong on that name, though. But yeah, I just associate Woody Harrelson with these typically not so serious roles. So very fun to see him in a very serious amazing. role. And amazing. And a role that he did very perform very well, I think, to be honest. Yeah. And Matt McConaughey, oh, he's so hot. He's I know, dude. He's Rust, so Rust Cole. <laughs> I know Rust he Cole. plays... There's maybe two like characters. pre 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 mustache Russ yeah. Cole. Oh my god, my my heart skips a beat. I know he's so nihilistic and yeah. so like so deeply, deeply uh, like <laughs> so deeply deeply atheist and like non believing I don't know. It's just it's so it's such a great like just a great character for sure. Yeah, um, definitely a memorable TV character. And dude, I remember when True Detective season one was out, it was like a huge phenomenon. Like I was a freshman in college. It was massive. Um, like everybody, it was week over week. Everyone wanted to know who the killer was because it's like truly a detective show. So like the 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 cer- certain questions remain unanswered till the very end of the season. So like mm-hmm. it's a really great watch as far as mysteries go. Um, there's like a f- really great opening first shot that like isn't elaborated on very quickly. Um, very mysterious like symbolism and like very mysterious, like, ah, oh, just such great mystery yeah. stuff, you know? Uh, it's kind of I, funny I love, too. love, love True yeah. Detective. The uh, the actor, I forget his name, but the actor that plays the killer, like the, the big killer of yeah, the show, yeah. um, he also plays like a really, like, dignified New York Wall Street lawyer in another show I watched a while ago called <laughs> Billions. So oh, it was, wow. it's very, there was a lot of, whenever I saw him on screen acting like a total freak, there was a lot of, cognitive dissonance he's got range he's got range for sure i was impressed he's got range for sure that's awesome well more on more on release watch um you know there's a there's some cool stuff coming out i know we got the northman coming out this week uh super sick uh robert eggers movie coming out pretty soon here same director as the witch and um the lighthouse for those of you that are fans of of those films 
Northman looks pretty cool. Viking Revenge Story. Uh, I know I'm really stoked for it. I think Matt and I may go see that one together. Uh, hopefully when when it drops this Friday. But yeah, super stoked on that one. Ethan Hawke. Uh, Big Hawk. Ethan Hawke guy these Man, days. I, I cannot believe how much uh, Ethan Hawke is just like in, in it right now. It's kind of awesome. Uh, it just a, feels like he's a all renaissance, if you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just watched uh, the he's in Moon Knight. Trilogy. He's in Moon Knight. He's in Moon Knight. I, just and I recommend I Moon Knight to everyone right now, by the way. Moon Knight's been very good so far. Yes, I still have to jump on that one. I've been hearing really good things. Um, yeah, Ethan Hawke. I've just I've been watching the Before trilogy as well. I don't know if anybody has ever seen those, like the romantic trilogy um, by Richard Linklater. Ethan Hawke is all over those as a as a young person and all the way up until like his fifties. He's awesome. Yes, um, and then we got Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent coming out soon with Nick Cage. Yes. Freaking jacked to the tits for that one. Um, uh, very, very excited for that. And also that line I just said is from um, oh, what's the big short Ryan Reynolds character in that movie. Highly recommend checking that out. Um, real, real little tangent there. I apologize. But yeah, excited for that one. Excited for Northmen. Um, we got... Baseball is back. Baseball is back. That's my big one. That is big. Uh, yeah, pretty stoked. Uh, you know, Dodgers just won seven games in a row. Went to my first Dodger game this past Saturday of the season uh, with some buds, and that was awesome. Uh, sat Loge box, really great view. Um, spent way too much on beer. Had a glizzy. That was good. <laughs> glizzy. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, uh, it's it's exciting. You know, there, there's so many games, so you can always kind of turn on the TV and, and watch one um, if you have a free evening, which is always great. Um, I was watching a little bit of the game before we recorded even and when I was having my dinner. So, uh, fun, fun. I mean, the long season is the long season. Um, so it's, it's, it's a war of attrition in the sport, but it's always great to kind of just tune in as a fan and, and just watch a lot of baseball. So super fun. Love it. And Lucas, you want to give us a little background on the Elden Ring legend? Yes. Let me solo her. Yeah, definitely wanted to bring this up. Uh, this, this is in the category of release watch here and, let me solo her. For those of you that don't know, is a player in Elden Ring, or you know, sort of a Elden Ring PC player that is helping people beat one of the hardest bosses in the game, whose name is Melania. So we haven't done our Elden Ring episode yet. Um, it's it's we're recording it this week, and we'll be dropping it in the next couple of weeks. Um, but there is a boss in Elden Ring that is extremely extremely hard, an end game boss, um, and her name is Melania. That's really all you need to know. Um, I myself spent hours and hours and hours and hours throwing myself at her trying to beat her um let me solo her is so in Elden Ring for those of you that don't know you can summon in friends uh you can summon in people to help you with bosses in specific areas so let me solo her is a guy who is kind of opened himself up avail opened his availability up to allow you to summon him into your world and his name is just let me solo her um, and start off as this awesome trend. It's just a naked guy dual wielding a couple katanas. Um, and he, he just has like a, a jar helmet on, which is sort of a meme within the Elden Ring universe, which we'll get into in our episode. Um, but yeah, he's just been helping people out, soloing Melania for you so you can beat her and move on with the game. And he's helped hundreds of people so far. He's on for like eight hours a day. If you're playing on PC and you need to get help with Melania, you can which is really, really hilarious. And um, he even had an IGN interview recently. So he's kind of become an internet phenomenon in the last uh, in the last few weeks. And and I love it. I actually wish that I played on PC and he could have helped me out because I <laughs> spent way too long trying to beat her for sure. <laughs> yeah, incredible guests get into that. But um, 
Speaking of video games, Lucas and IGN, have you heard of IGN's new television show, Rogue Jam? Rogue Jam, yes. Matthew, I have heard of Rogue Jam, but for those of you that don't know who Rogue Jam, who? For those of you that don't know what Rogue Jam is, Matt, how would you explain it? Thank you for asking, Lucas. So everyone, Rogue Jam is a new show IGN's uh, starting to do or publish on YouTube. It is a show that actually just published for the first time yesterday on the 18th. And essentially, it is a show where in almost a Shark Tank style, uh, they pick three gamers to compete in a specific category of games or like a specific, I guess, not, not genre per se, but a category. So, for example, this week, the category was just games with, that they think have the you know greatest potential or the most potential. So they get three people in that category and then they basically present their pay, their game to a panelist of judges um, from a variety of different backgrounds and it is all hosted by Damon Hatfield. And then the winner gets a publishing deal and a $50,000 development or money, $50,000 check meant to be used for development for their game. Um, and yeah, so the hosts of the show are Pierce Schneider, or excuse me, not the host, the judges are Pierce Schneider, who is one of the co-founders of IGN. Uh, everyone's favorite Nintendo president, Reggie Fisaime. Uh, I apologize if I pronounced his Reggie name. Reggie Fisamin. Fisamin. Fisamin? Yeah, you had it right. You had it right. Okay. okay. <laughs> he was the uh, former Nintendo America president, only to be usurped by Doug Bowser. Just incredible name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then there was Matt... Casamassina, who is another co-founder of IGN and also the CEO slash co-founder of Rogue Games. I there's some colluding in there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but we gotta we gotta keep a tight tight uh telescope on that one. Get the watchdog out. There is Kimberly Pointer Corbet. Corbett, Corbet, I'm not sure. <laughs> VP, uh, who is the VP of digital publishing at Warner Brothers. There is Christopher Lee, and I apologize. I I replayed it twice, like several times to try and get it, but for the life of me, I could not understand what they were saying, like with what his background was as far as specific like company. Co-founder of Namas. Namas is what I got out of it, but I couldn't find anything. I just pointed to a guy from Halo who was not this Christopher Lee. All I know is he was touted as the story and, story and narrative guy, which... Okay, congrats. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and he, he had like some of the weakest feedback too, to be honest. But, and then there was also Chris Archer, who is the CSO, C Chief Strategy Officer of Rogue Games. Uh, and there were three games that competed in this round, as I mentioned. The first one being Rogue North, created by Mackenzie Palmer. Uh, it is a twin stick tactical based shooter um, with tactical gameplay and a survival. Um, with survival features such as food, water, heat, where you roam the wintry wonderland of what I can only assume is Canada, but I'm, I, Siberia I'm, or something. Siberia yeah, or something. Like I'm not sure. Um, then there was Enter the Chronosphere, who was created by Reese Vander Warden. It is a roguelike with that has tactical decisions as well as some of the phonetic combat of a shooter. The the best way I could describe it is it like the gameplay style of it. It reminds super hot, super hot. It reminded me of super hot in the manner of where 
you pick an action and then that action is played out very quickly and then everything freezes again. Um, that one played, looked cool. Looked really cool. Played just like that. Very, very placeholder uh, or very, very, what's the word? Rudimentary art style in that game for now. I think the guy said he put the, the, the demo together in like a week just to get it ready for this. So most of what was in that game was just very much placeholder art. And then the third one was Hockey Heroes um, created by Christopher Atala, which is a arcade hockey game with RPG and party game elements. Not my game that I would pick to that play. That game looked cool. But I, I, I think, thought that looked awesome. I think if you if that's something you're interested in, I think it's a super cool game. You know, if you like if you like hockey, if you like I mean, it kind of sounded like he was trying to bring together the best of both worlds in a very casual environment. And it looked, it looked cool. Um, not my first choice, but like, I, I think for what it was, it looked really cool. And the winner of all this was Chronosphere, the roguelike game by Reese Vanderwarden. So he won $50,000 in opportunity at a publishing deal uh, with Rogue Games. Lucas, did you have a chance to check out the whole video? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't finish the whole video, unfortunately, but um, watched about half. And um, you know, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the format a lot, and I thought it was some of the best content I've seen from IGN for a long time. Hundred um, percent. In some ways, it's like a little corny, falling into like the the Shark Tank style. It's, it's yeah. trying really hard to be Shark Tank uh, at the same time, and I, you know, who knows how much of it was, how much drama they kind of induced in in the editing room. But I think the overall concept is great. You know, it's kind of gives a chance for um, indie develop. I mean, the indiest of indie developers who mm -hmm. I, I think don't don't get a chance to kind of speak on their own games in a public forum very often. Uh, speak on their games in a public forum and uh, you get to kind of hear their their thoughts um, why they made it why they wanted to be a developer um, there was like one guy I, I forget which game he had made but he said like hey I'm 40 years old I don't have any formal training in computer science I just wanted to prove that I have a love of games and I think that I can make a good game because yeah. um, so I've been doing YouTube tutorials for so many years not here I'm going to make my game um, I love that, you know, I, I think like, I mean, that's how those guys that made Cuphead, the, those two brothers kind of started out, like didn't have a lot of formal training, just like loved games growing up, like, and, and got into it, you know? So I think that lightning can get, get caught in a bottle and, you know, some of these, this is a really, really cool format to try and find that kind of stuff, um, and find some cool ideas for sure. Yeah. I was a huge fan of it, to be honest. You know, I think anything that gives these indie developers more of an opportunity and more accessibility to the big money, right? To where they can actually fully flesh out their games and make them fully actualized is a positive. I was really going into this show. I was honestly really expecting it to be cringe and yeah, yeah. not, I actually had very little expectations and I was very pleasantly surprised with the show itself. I actually thought for the most part, barring my buddy, uh, Chris Lee, Christopher Lee. I thought everyone had pretty good feedback. There was just one point where he was like, I think he was talking about either Rogue North or Under the Chronosphere, but he's like, what's the story here? What's the narrative? You gotta have the narrative driving. It's like, man, you can't tell me that when like Fortnite had it, you know, yeah. it's a day. Yeah, well... I, well, obviously, you know, we're advocates for narrative-driven games here on this podcast. I want to be very clear about that. I also think it's totally okay to have self-contained experiences, especially in an indie game where it's, like, just a fun game, you know, and not necessarily a crazy-driving narrative. Yeah, game. I definitely didn't play... I wouldn't play Hockey Heroes and go, yeah, what's the story here? It's kind right. of, like, <laughs> there's a guy on fire 
slamming a puck into a net. That's the story. It's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like you don't need a lot of story there. Was, uh, North, was the guy was, getting shot in the head? Was Hockey what, Heroes your favorite? No, I just thought it would look cool. Um, it kind of looked like uh, Strikers in, in a sense. It reminded me of Strikers, uh, like Super uh, Strikers. Strikers. Or, yeah, it yeah. had a weird perspective, though. I didn't, I you know, I don't know. I feel like it could have probably had a little bit of a different camera angle. Um, I don't know why it was it was that particular choice, but maybe because you're yeah, playing hockey. Yeah, it was a little As, janky. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was like. Uh, it, it wasn't like the sideways TV hockey camera view that you normally have. It was like the one from the field. It was like one that mm -hmm. you would have as a hockey player. I don't know, it was a little, it was a little strange, yeah. but um, arcade game, arcade uh, style games are underrated, which is why I bring up hockey heroes. And also they don't need a story. Yeah. So. I, uh, I really fucked with rogue North. Actually, I think that game looks sick. I, uh, I'm very optimistic and hopeful that he does McKenzie or Mac. As Mac. everyone calls him, uh, I'm optimistic that Mac Palmer will come up with something great there. So I thought that was a super interesting game because yeah. I feel like when you think when you when you hear Twin Stick, your mind kind of goes inherently to a more hectic style of game. Yeah, it goes to where, Geometry Wars for me. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Rogue North is very much the opposite of that. Um, and you know, I think what's really cool about it is it is a game that does have a lot of room to grow. Whereas, you know. Whether he chooses to keep the story rudimentary or honestly, there is absolutely room in a game like that to build out a narrative. I think if he really didn't want to, it didn't take Christopher Lee's advice. Uh, I don't know why I'm, sh I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy. <laughs> I don't know why. I just he, he said one thing that bugged me, and I couldn't figure out his name. So he's he, I'm, I'm bullying him today. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, I, th I thought Rogue North was really cool. And honestly, IGN, well done. Yeah, uh, everyone, I, cool. I highly encourage you, if you haven't, go check out IGN's Rogue Jam. It's on their YouTube channel, easy to watch. There'll be more of it. There'll be more of it, too. Episodes. Um, very, honestly, I'm maybe there has been something in the past of this nature that just didn't succeed for one reason or another, but I'm very surprised it took this long for there to be a kind of shark tank style yeah. uh, video game competition with like this. So I, I think it's good. I think it's healthy for gaming in general or game development in general um, to have all alternate ways to try and try and get something noticed, you know, cause I think they, they get the check for 50 K right. If so chronosphere got a, a $50,000 check roughly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so $50,000, I mean, they, they they get that cash and they're using that to, for the development of the game and hopefully the publishing on it. You and I will play that game in, in six months or maybe a year, most likely like a year from now. Yeah. Um, and that'll be cool because we'll pay 15 bucks for it and we'll play it. We'll, we'll give money to Reese uh, uh, Vander Warden, the, um, the creator of the game, and that'll be awesome. Uh, but I, I think beyond that, the, there will be an element of publicity that comes just by being on the show rather than like just developing the game himself, funding it himself, and then getting noticed maybe at a trade show, maybe at E3 one year if it shows up, maybe at like PAX or something like that, and then jumping onto the Steam store. This is giving it a little bit of a higher baseline to start from, which is really awesome. Um, so all for that, all for the creators, um, because the topic I'm going to jump into next is a uh, little, little bit on the opposite end. Uh, Real quick, before we do, one thing that just popped into my mind today that I saw that I forgot to bring up. Oh, go for it. Apparently, Sega is working on a big budget reboot of Crazy Taxi and Jet Set Radio. Oh, yes. All right. I'm excited for the Jet Set Radio. I don't know about Crazy Taxi is weird, uh, a weird one to want to reboot, but Jet Set Radio needs a reboot for sure. Yeah, I'll be... <laughs> if they if they get like modern movement on it 
would you would you play it like if it if it felt and moved like a modern game but had the style of like a jet set radio with the yeah like, for sure hip-hop I music mean, and graffiti oh man i'm already getting fired up just thinking about <laughs> this game again um i mean yeah i think the style of the game was sick i think the music was pretty good but the movement just felt like dog shit even for its time so that's uh that's where i land on on jet set radio okay check out i've heard jet, jet set, set radio. radio future is very good i've heard the movement's a lot better than that game i haven't played yep. it but jet set radio you can't you're lying to yourself if you think that game feels good it feels good I'll end on that. Um, all right, so uh, I'll move on to my. T- oh, you want to touch on your uh, your your musky musky headline here? Uh, we can get into that after your. After okay, your okay. Here. Yeah. Um, I'm sure a lot of people that are just paying Already a little know. bit of attention to Elon yeah. Musk probably know about what we're going to talk about later. We'll get to that later. Um, but my topic for today is uh, just on uh, uh, more crunch culture stuff going on in in video game development. So uh, this article was actually linked by Hyalette in our Discord server. So shout out to Hyalette for linking this out. This is a Ringer article published on April 8th, um, written by Ben Lindbergh, who I love, love, love Ben Lindbergh. Um, Ben Lindbergh is a contributor to the Ringer. Um, He has he's a co-host of a baseball podcast I listen to called Effectively Wild and has been on a number of, of Ringer baseball and sports podcasts in the past. Really intelligent guy, um, really great writer, and um, a great commentator. And uh, he wrote this uh, article here called uh, Lego Star Wars, The Skywalker Saga is a Good Game and an Ethical uh, Quandary. Okay, and uh, the sprawling new title packs nearly 400 characters and the events of nine movies into one game, yet the labor required to realize developer TT Games' vision was reportedly torturous. Um, this is nothing new. I just kind of want to point that out. And even Matt, um, when I sent him the article and he read it kind of felt the same way, you know, uh, (laughs) that's part of the problem, right? That is part of the problem. Uh, exactly, exactly. And, you know, listen, the Lego star Wars game came out, Lego star Wars, Skywalker saga. It's one of the biggest games that they've ever made. It's probably the biggest Lego game that they've ever made. Um, and TT games has made a lot of Lego games. I'll go down the list here in a little bit. Um, and this game is just packed full of stuff, you know, 400 playable characters, uh, every single movie packed into it. It's in the Lego style. So it's fun and cutesy. Uh, you can beat the full game and then still have, that's like not even 25% of the game, uh, to play. So you got to play you, you when you beat the game, you still have like tons and tons and tons of content to play through. Um, so the game obviously is massive. Um, and you know, earlier in the year, Polygon actually released a piece back in January. Um, and there was conversations that were had with over 20 current and former TT games employees that described a culture of crunch at TT games in which sustained premeditated periods of 80 to 100 hour work weeks were not uncommon. The report also described bullying, hostile and inequitable treatment of women and other adverse conditions that led to low morale and high turnover. The burnout-inducing demands of the nearly five-year-long development process, which included three delays, resulted from a number of factors, including the introduction of a new game engine and problems with planning and management. Um, a lot of stuff. To, a lot of stuff there. Um, you know, I just want to comment first and foremost that this is a, a, a normalized practice within the industry. Um, and if if we think that this is brand new news and we're surprised by this, um, I, I'd say that's. Uh, um, 
that's not great either. And uh, you know, a period of 80, 80 to one hundred hour work weeks not being uncommon. That that's the that's kind of where we've been at in the video game development space for a really long time. And bullying, hostile and inequitable treatment of women, Blizzard just got in a formal lawsuit from the state of California for for the same thing with their own company. Not, not I was um, uh, right, same thing. I uh, speaking of the Activision Blizzard stuff, I actually was getting emailed stuff about that and stuff sent to my whoa uh, my parents my family's address, which was my permanent address at the time when I was at Blizzard. But regarding like, hey, if you think you fall. Fortunately, I, I don't fall into these the circumstances where I can maybe make a claim to get some money from them. But um, fortunately, I had a very normal experience at Blizzard. But a lot of people didn't, and that's important to acknowledge and be a voice and support them as well. But yeah, I was like, wow, I can't, this. You know, it, it's interesting when you read about like these articles, and then I see what's I get actually hit up in my email about like, hey. You know, did you experience sexual harassment at Blizzard? Yeah. <laughs> God, <laughs> that's how rampant. Like that's how yeah. rampant it is. Like truly, uh, it's it's really not great. And you know, I think it, it's there, there's there's a few things going on here um, that that I, I want to talk more about on uh, more about. And you know, there is so much content in this game that the developers needed to deliver to the publisher and to the gamers that are looking to play these games. Mm -hmm. So you know, people want bigger. People want more. People want a lot out of the games that they play, but they want the price point to stay at sixty dollars uh, a game every time. Um, <laughs> for some reason, we can't pay more than sixty dollars for a game anymore, um, or we can't raise the price anymore. And um, you know, they they developed over th almost four hundred playable characters in this game. Each one of them requiring different animations, voice, art. Pretty remarkable, um, to be honest. It's remarkable. It's crazy. It's like I mean, it is it is awesome that they were able to do that. Um, but you know, we have to think uh, as players if you know all those playable characters is worth sort of the inequitable treatment of employees um, or high burnout and turn like high turnout low, low morale and high turnover low morale and and burnout inducing demands you know I think that um, I myself there's gonna be a lot of gamers that just simply play the game don't think once or twice about what went into it. Um, there may be people that are a little bit more on the, um, you know, empowered political spectrum that will not buy the game for these reasons that will read this Ringer article and actively go out of their way to not buy the game, uh, even if they were going to buy it in the first place. And it, it's tricky because the people who left the company are not going to be affected by you not buying the game necessarily, but the people that stayed on that are getting bonused for certain sales goals or ratings goals and things like that are now going to not hit those sales goals. So that's such a it's a tricky, that's tricky, such tricky a thing. Mind blowing success metric for me or bonus metric, you know, yeah. because I mean, I work in a sales based environment. You know, the way our bonuses work is if you exceed exceptionally above and beyond your typical numbers, then yeah, you might, you'll, you'll qualify for X amount of bonus based on amount of X amount of revenue you produced, you know, um, and it's a very, what's the word? Um, it's, it's a bonus you can control by putting in the extra work, but you could work incredibly hard on your video game, you know, that you're developing for either, you know, whatever developer, right? And maybe just because something that's not even your fault, maybe the game director had a bad direction and because of their direction that you were forced to work so hard on the game totally tanks 
and you don't get a bonus because you didn't hit yeah. the sales numbers and it didn't hit the Metacritic score. That is mind boggling. Yeah, to me. that's and I don't know. That's yeah. a real thing. I mean, what what we're talking about is you know sometimes these development teams are actually incentivized and bonused based on ratings and sales of the game that they make. Um, which like the guy that had to design the animations for eighty hours in one week for some random Wookiee playable character in the game, he has no way of controlling the quality of the game not 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 in a real not in a directional sense and like a metacritic score or a rating that's low which you know would would affect his bottom line or his paycheck or his family or whatever is yeah. so totally out of his control it's a very it, it seems like a very backward system that that some of these developers are really going for and um it's unfortunate, you know, Ben Lindbergh writes something here that, that I thought was pretty interesting. You know, he says, regardless of the type of entertainment, few consumers are strangers to dark nights of the soul. Sports fans wrestle with whether to root for teams that have awful owners or that employ and richly remunerate loathsome athletes and admirers of the work created by problematic directors, writers, and musicians agonize over quote, separating the art from the artist and contemplate taking a private or public stance. Uh, these matters are complicated further for gamers by the fact that the victims of crunch and, and deleterious development practices are often the developers themselves. Boycott a game and you may mostly be punishing the people who already endured plenty of punishment to get the game out the door. Um, it's an unfortunate thing in game development, you know, and um, I personally, I'm, I think that there's one thing that we can do as gamers that I would encourage listeners of the podcast to maybe consciously think about. I'm not saying to not buy a game uh, because of something like this. It, it, it may affect the bottom line of developer. I'm not saying uh, to not play a game or not not critically look at it from from an art perspective or things like that. But what I'm I think what I'd advocate for, for if anything, is to maybe think about the content in the game and the satisfaction levels that you get based on the content that's been created. Because everything that you play in a video game is created by someone, created by a team working more longer hours than you, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes, you know, people play games for a long amount of time and then they feel that there's not enough content in the game. And I think we do this weird mental trick as gamers where we play New World for 300 hours and then say, oh, the end game doesn't have enough content. Or we play Halo Infinite for a full month, every single night, and then go, ah, oh, there's there's no new map, there's not enough content, this is a dead game, I'm not gonna play this game anymore. And we judge like the, the quality of developers and the quality of the game based on the fact that we don't get enough out of it, right? When, you know, hours-wise, we do. And oftentimes these games are free to play, um, which is kind of another, another thing that we have to think about, right? You don't put your dollar in and you expect unlimited amount of content sometimes, um, and I've, I'm a, I, you know, I'll say that I, as a gamer, I've felt this way before, but, you know, I think culturally we can start thinking in terms, or we should try and start thinking about things in terms of, you know, I'm a gamer. I got a hundred hours out of this game for free. I'm satisfied. I'm not going to complain and demand too much. Right. And like create a, create sort of the demand for a crunch culture like this. Mm -hmm. That's my yeah. soapbox, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you said, you know, and it's, it's interesting too because I, the nature of you know the person that is upset that their game runs out of content in a hundred thousand hour a hundred thousand hours is that ties a lot to live service games, right? You know where these games are constantly being updated and constantly being you know had, having work put into them, and then 
for you to get up or for anyone to get upset that, you know, a game only has maybe 40 hours of gameplay when it's a single player game, you know, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's (laughs) for $60. That's a lot of hours. That's an incredible experience. You know, I mean, equate that to how many out, you know, if you wanted to get 60 hours worth of going to the movies, right? You know, that's we're talking like shit. Hundreds of dollars. <laughs> Hundreds of dollars in movie Literally. tickets. Yeah. Um, and then you just got 40 hours of an interactive experience and you're going to complain. It's it's horrible. Um, that, that's kind of the mindset that we have. And there's a fine line of complaining, I think, and praising and wanting more. There's, there's something to acknowledge there. Um, but we should be respectful of developers, you know, and understand that you know, while they are working hard and while they are earning our dollar, that doesn't mean they need to earn our dollar by working eight hour crunch weeks where they stay home or excuse me, stay in the office, um, put their personal health at risk and maybe don't see their families for like, you know, however long at a time, you know, it's not healthy. And, you know, I had a very short stint at Blizzard, but I can even a little, not little, even at a studio (laughs) like that. Um, and I wasn't even on any direct game dev teams, but even there, you know, just, the crunch is it's so real. Um, there were days as an intern where I was working like 12 or 13 hour days. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, so not into it. Um, and you know, I mean, yeah, I, I think the point is respect game developers, respect their time, understand that they're not slaves to you. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the, the solution, right, is maybe these games just cost more money, right, to help compensate for that, you know, or things like, or maybe they cost more money so they can hire on more people so they don't have to crunch. Yeah. Um, or maybe we just accept that games have a longer development time frame now, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I mean, how many, I, I bet you there's so many games developers from the past year and a year and a half that are like, oh, COVID, we just, we can't get it out on time, guys. But the real is, they were like, Oh, thank God. Like, yeah, we, we have were way behind. To, <laughs> we, have a, we have a good excuse to like really push this game out now. Um, so I think, I don't know. There, there's a lot to unpack there, um, but I, I think it's safe to say TFP will always side with the developers on things like this Yeah, and not the bottom line of greedy corporate execs that probably don't even play video games. Yeah, it, totally, totally. And you know, the the thing is, is uh, the price of games, I, I know you mentioned it too just now, is uh, the price of games has not changed. So we have had to... I think re- some PS5 games are $70 now. I could be wrong on that though. Yeah, the, the development budget has skyrocketed for the last 15 years, but for the most part, games have stayed $60 steadily. Um, and that's because of things like like battle passes, like games of service. That's kind of where they make up the cost of certain things. And, you know, some of these free to play games that are a service with a with a cash shop or a battle pass make way, way more money than than something like Lego Star Wars, Star Wars, uh, Skywalker Saga. Um, so, you know, there, there there's a lot of ways that companies can kind of make the money back. But, you know, ultimately, it's like whatever has to be done to avoid crunch should should be done. Um, and if that is like slower release cycles, uh, less seasons um, on a, on your game that has like that is a persistent game where you're putting out content. Um, I'm all for that, you know, and if it Mm -hmm. requires me as a gamer to pay more money, I'm also for that too, to be honest. I know not every gamer is in that position, but if you, if you think about the amount of hours you get based on dollars spent, games are always going to be the best bang for your buck. Any entertainment period. Like 
And and I think we we just go down a weird thing as gamers where we th- we we spend no money on a game and then play it for a hundred hours and then get mad that it doesn't have enough stuff to do. Uh, it is why it is, it is something we have to break out of. Um, there's a great book um, called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by uh, Dr- Jason Schreier. Um, it's uh, the tri- triumphant and turbulent stories behind how video games are made, um, which covers uh, a lot of this kind of stuff stemming from, you know, things like Bungie creating Destiny, uh, the build of Dragon Age Inquisition, um, and even, you know, homegrown um, RPG, you know, farm simulations like Stardew Valley. So um, really interesting book there. Definitely want to want to pick that one up and uh, has has a good rating on Goodreads as well. So for those of you that want to learn more, feel free. Yes. All right. Moving on. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think we already brought this up the other week because he bought a almost 10 percent stake in it. But Elon Musk has up to the <laughs> ante, everyone. Uh, Daddy Musk is now offered to buy out Twitter at a forty three million dollar. Wait, forty three million b- billion billion forty three billion. Excuse yeah. me. I saw forty three million written. I was like, whoa, okay. A lot of people yeah. could buy Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> forty three billion dollar offer to buy Twitter, and at the time of that offer, um, that would have valued the company at fifty two dollar, roughly fifty two dollars a share. Which I think when he made the offer, I want to say it was around forty eight dollars okay. a share. So this is blatant 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 manipulation right like i mean i couldn't get more clear than this elon is literally saying the company is worth five more dollars per stock than it is now and i'm setting the value for it so that my stock price goes up isn't that what happened not really honestly since he made the announcement that he wanted to buy it it hasn't really moved up actually it's actually down two percent over the last five days okay um when he announced his original stake in it, the stake of you know the rough nine, roughly nine percent worth that he bought, there was a huge like twenty percent jump in it. But since he announced his intentions to buy it fully, um, it has not jumped up significantly. In fact, yeah, in fact, it's pretty much stagnated, which I actually found quite surprising. Um, yeah, it's weird because. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it's actually he's done the the opposite, right? The opposite would have been him announcing, "I have a short position on Twitter to get to drive the the price down," or the, that's what manipulation in this case would have been, announcing as a short position on Twitter to drive the pi- price down, and then saying, "Oh, here I'll buy it for this price," right? Yeah. Um, him unless he does truly sell all his shares which I don't think he can do that for a very long time, honestly, without being absolutely accused of outright market manipulation by the SEC. I mean, he's kind of locked into this one, honestly, and I don't really see that changing. And honestly, a lot of the, even I think shareholders, to my knowledge of Twitter, aren't totally stoked that he's only offering $52 on the share, basically, for this. Uh, For context, Twitter actually hit a 52-week high of $73.34. Uh, over the past two weeks, so seventy three dollars thirty four cents. Wow. On the opposite end of that, to be fair, it also hit a low of thirty one dollars and thirty cents. Wow. He's, he's kind Wild. of beating them in the middle, but <laughs> yeah, it, 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 this is interesting, Lucas. Um, what do we? Who do we call? What do we, who, who do, we, what do, we do about this? <laughs> I mean, this? Uh, to be honest, is there any like like legitimately? Is there any sort of uh, I guess movement or desire to you know? 
fine Elon or like the SEC or FTC, whoever's like overseeing any instances or investigates market manipulation of any kind, is there any sort of conversations happening? Because I just feel like Elon has so much power to just tweet something and move. move I mean, if millions. they were going to do that by now, they would have got him on yeah, doing something with Tesla by now, right? I mean, yeah. all he's done is publicly disclose that he has a large position in Twitter. He hasn't sold any of that stock, to my knowledge, at this point, as of April 19th. So I I don't think there's anything that's like able to, you know, go after at this point. Um, again, if he does choose to sell it, and I'd imagine anytime within the next six months to a year, and he makes a significant profit on it, I am sure that there will be a conversation more so about um, you know, market manipulation for context when he announced before he announced his purchase of Twitter of this, the stake he currently has, it was at around $39 a share. And then it immediately jumped to 40, $49 a share, just right. about almost 50. Um, and then yeah, it's kind of leveled off right now. It's sitting at 4616, but it, it, I'm just interested. This sets such a precedent of where these billionaires, whether it's Bezos, Zuckerberg, Musk, whoever it may be, these massive tech billionaires can just buy out even other larger, even other large tech companies such as Twitter, right? And can truly kind of, you know, in the if you're looking at this from the most dystopian possible way, can really create their own kind of oligarch society type of thing, right? You know, mm -hmm. we always, you know, the, the big buzzwords the past couple, the past month because of everything going on in Ukraine, right? has been, oh, Russian billionaires, Russian oligarchs. Russian oligarchs, yeah. Um, you know, that's been the big buzzword. And it's, I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to say we are in a way approaching that with Musk's, Musk making these kind of moves even though he's South African. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's neither here nor there. <laughs> it's neither here nor there. He's, as far as I'm concerned, an American businessman at this point. I I, I think it's a... It, you mentioned this before, I think, when we talked about this. I don't know if it was in recording the podcast or you were talking about it in person, but, I mean, does this mean that, you know, someone with a lot of money, someone with, you know, billions, could just buy, you know, a bunch of, you know, buy 5% of Amazon, and increase the Amazon stock price simply because they bought a, such a large volume and publicly publicly said so and then created such high demand and created such much like so much FOMO and like move the needle in the market for that stock very quickly just simply by buying a lot of it. Like Elon basically turned money into more money instantaneously by buying it, by spending the money. It's he found the infinite money cheat, basically. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's that said, I mean, like like I mentioned, if you really did sort of, you know, immediately sell Twitter after announcing that stake, yeah, you'd be subject to so much scrutiny. I'm not an expert with the SEC. I don't know how much um I don't know what kind of exact regulation there is or what time frames someone can publicly disclose their position. And to be fair, I think once you have a mistake that that's big, you do have to at some point disclose your position publicly. I, I, I could be wrong on that. I'm not an SEC expert by any means, but 
it is problematic in the sense that the, they can affect so much simply by them throwing around a few billion dollars, which is really not even that much money to them. You know, that's, that's problematic to me, especially when, you know, the second Elon Musk finally does choose to offload all these shares, which I'm sure he will, I guarantee you that stock's going to plummet and it's going to potentially fuck over all the, you know, people, whether Wall Street pets or not, that <laughs> chose to buy the stock once he did invest in it, you know? Yeah. And whether you support people that choose to spend their money on investments like that or not, that's really shitty where, you know, maybe you, you throw in a few hundred dollars or a few thousand dollars and that goes down by 25%. I mean, fuck. Uh, Netflix just dropped 25% like earlier over, today yeah, after, yeah. over their bad earnings, you know? And the, the fact, granted, that's that's not that's not a billionaire offloading their shares. That's just Netflix being a poor business practices. <laughs> but my point is like that kind of money can disappear very quickly. Can hurt. Trust me. I've, I've had my gambling issues in the stock market <laughs> <laughs> with my options. I a little for a little bit there. I, I get it. Um, and I don't like the idea that a, you know, that a, someone that's a billionaire and, they could simply I, I, I spend have a, money and change. They could spend money to, to change the the value. Is yeah, what and I mean, I I don't. No matter how good of a humanitarian you are, no matter how good of a person you are, or how close you try and stay to the state of the earth, you know, I find it hard to believe that you can keep a normal perspective on the normal person when you're a multi billionaire. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, I even imagine that a lot of celebrities, even if they came from humble roots, not all celebrities, I think there are some cases where they don't have the case, or that's not the case, but uh, it must be so hard once you do reach that fame, you know, that level of money, that richness to really kind of remember your roots and really like remember looking out for the little guy. And I can only imagine that's blown up to the umpteenth time for people like Musk or people like Bezos or people like Zuckerberg, right? Where they lose sight of what it's like to be the little guy and potentially fuck that person over or not. Yeah. Cause for better or for worse, a lot of people in the world in general are invested in the stock market and that's where they go to their retirements. And the idea that to, uh, Elon could just all of a sudden choose to like fuck over a certain stock that could potentially fuck over a certain amount of people is incredible to me. Yeah. Uh, well said, Matt. Great soapbox there. Thank hopefully, you. hopefully the, uh, <laughs> hopefully we stop that man pretty soon. Because uh, he's got too much money to be thrown around. Uh, it's pretty silly. To... Also, just the idea of Elon buying Twitter, which would never would never go through, um, is like, geez, wow! Like, and turn it's... into a bigger fucking cesspool than it already is. Yeah, and I, I just, it's I. What I would love to see is because Elon is like kind of a big uh, freedom freedom of speech kind of kind of guy. He's a big freedom of speech guy. Um, and, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't like some of this. He's, he's gone out and said that some of the censorship stuff he disagrees with, um, on social media. And, uh, the thing I think I've said this before on the pod, there will always have to be censorship on Twitter, no matter if Elon Musk owns it or not. So I don't know why people are saying like Elon's going to buy Twitter and there's going to be no more censorship of the real liberal agenda. <laughs> and let's like, okay, yeah, somebody, I guess there's going to be no censorship on Twitter anymore. Someone, yeah. uh, someone's going to make a bot that just says the N word 24 hours a day, and it's going to have to get censored. 
someone's going to make a bot that does this and it's going to have to get sent. It's like, you're, you're just going to have to censor people on the internet in one way or another. And yeah. uh, no matter if Elon owns it or not. So I, there were some hot takes that were like, Elon's going to buy Twitter and cle- and and allow certain things to happen, which one, he's not going to be able to purchase Twitter. Two, no, he will not be able to uncensor things because no one can do that. Um, even They even had problems like that with these quote, like, what do you, well, Parler? Or the other one, um, the Trump uh, social media. I believe, I believe it was Parler. It might have been another one. They uh, had to censor. Social. They had to censor accounts and bots right away yeah. because <laughs> it's just so. It, it's just never going to work out um, in the way that that um, that side of the aisle believes it's going to work out. Um, anyway, hilarious Elon Musk Twitter um, Twitter fanboys um, doing their thing. Um, all right, I got something for you, Matt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I don't really play MMOs that much anymore. Uh, I get into RuneScape once a year around winter time uh, when I'm settling in for a Christmas season. I'll, I'll jump on some RuneScape. I did that last season. But one that I haven't played in a long time and I don't really have a desire to play anymore is uh, a World of Warcraft. Uh, one game called A World of Warcraft. Uh, you know, they got a new expansion coming out. They just announced it today. It's called Dragonflight. Um, Zulu, friend of the pod, a uh, guy that's always in the Discord. I was, I was chatting with him a little bit today and talking about World of Warcraft. And, you know, he's, he's still playing it. I was checking Discord earlier. He was on. Um, I was hoping to bring him on for a quick quick Q&A, but, but he looks like he jumped off. And, you know, the expansion looks fine. That's my take on it. Um, I think generally uh, Blizzard has been messing up in the last two or three years, for those of you that don't know. Um, World of Warcraft has not been a very high-quality MMO for, for quite some time now. Um, and a lot of MMO players really, really are hating World of Warcraft. Um, it's on the way to getting dethroned by Final Fantasy XIV, uh, which is getting better and better every year by all the MMO people I know that play that game. Um, and not to mention Blizzard just having a fall from grace for the last two years with its you know, uh, legal issues, um, trouble with, uh, we mentioned earlier, you know, acquisitions of sexual misconduct, the uh, we'll never forget the Bill Cosby suite uh, that that Ooh, happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and then Blizzard finally being acquired. You know, I think that uh, they've just been on on this downward spiral and a lot of people are viewing like, OK, this this is kind of a make it or break it thing. Um, you know, this this expansion ha- has to be great. This new content has to be really, really great in order to kind of save the reputation of Blizzard as a legitimate company that makes a good game called the World of Warcraft. Um, which it, it the most recent years it hasn't even done its bare minimum of just milking its cash cow World of Warcraft, um, which it's been doing for 15 years, but but hasn't done a good job of in recent. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I remember there was a time where um, everybody was making MMOs and they were just like people were throwing MMOs at the wall, trying to dethrone uh, World of Warcraft. And it just it just was a difficult thing to do. And now it looks like the end of an era could be upon us in this next generation. Um, Dragonflight, I, I encourage people out there to watch the trailer. Um, the art does look cool. Mather and Zulu, I will, I will admit. Um, and I, I think it's, it's an interesting looking expansion, but unless Blizzard really nails it, I think they're still going to be on a perpetual, uh, downward spiral, um, with, with this product. So, um, for those of you that still play it, that are still into MMOs or are, you know, are playing a lot of World of Warcraft, you know, definitely write in and, and, and give us your thoughts and, um, let us know what you think. I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the aisle of, I'm not sure if they'll make it. 
uh, or I'm not sure. I think World of Warcraft will always be there. I think it'll always be a product that people will pay for and a certain amount of people will play, but it it's positioned on the throne at the top of the MMO list. Um, I don't I don't think it's going to last that much longer if it has not been fully dethroned by FF14 already. Yeah, I mean, MMOs in general, while they do find some success still, such as Final Fantasy fourteen, and they will without a doubt always have an audience. It's definitely a genre that's taking a backseat to like the battle royale genre or, you know, um, mobile gaming in general, like mobile gaming games, and stuff in general, or games like TFT, MOBAs, you know. So, you know, I'm I'm all for this. As Kylo Ren once said, "Let the past die." Kill it if you have to. <laughs> um, no, I I'm, I love RuneScape. I don't want RuneScape to die. But oh, that'll never die. You know, I, I something you know Blizzard's done a lot too is like, oh, you're tired of our old. I don't know. Just the. I mean, you see this with like Disney too in a way, right? Where oh, you like our old IP so much. All right, here it is again. But live action. That's right, yeah, everyone. Yeah. Live action Lion King. Yeah. And then. You get Blizzard, who's like, "Oh, you love our old content so much." Here's Vanilla WoW. Yeah. Oh, did you like that expansion? Don't worry. Here it is again. Here it is again. Baby. Here it is again. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I just I hate that as a business practice. I don't, for the most part. Well, there's there's a strong difference between a game being remade and rebooted such as like final fantasy seven being remade. There's a strong difference between that, which is a game it made remade from the top down, basically a brand new game. Just the plot and the story is the only thing that's similar to, you know, blizzard totally re-releasing the same releasing stuff perpetually. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that 30 years from now, I'm sure we'll be repeating the cycle in some capacity. Yeah. <laughs> 20 years yeah. from now, 30 years from now, whatever it ends up being. Yeah, it's just kind of like a, it's just a safety net you can kind of fall into where. Yeah, it just sucks because uh, it's not a good, it doesn't. At the end of the day, Blizzard is a, a publicly owned company that has obligations to their shareholders. So they're going to choose to put out the products that they know will make the money. They know World of Warcraft will make the money. They know doing this kind of stupid crap will make the money yeah. and will allow them just to keep the ember slowly, slowly burning and not totally get stamped out by the competition. Um, and so they do whatever will make the money and it's a shame because it doesn't spur any real new or exciting IPs. I mean, the last time blizzard, maybe someone correct me if I'm wrong to my knowledge, the last overwatch unique blizzard IP was overwatch. Mm -hmm. So it's a shame that rather than trying to make the next overwatch, you know, which I guess they're making sorry, Overwatch too. They so. are making Overwatch too, but I mean, create another unique IP. Instead, they're pouring resources into rehashing and reselling old. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, they, these, um, you know, like you said, Blizzard is a publicly owned company, and it has shareholders, and they there are revenue reports that if you are a shareholder, you receive. Um, and, and you care about that, yeah. And there, you care about you know, and and the funny thing. There are old white guys that are shareholders in Blizzard, and they go, wait, didn't we make, they raise their hand, and they say, we made, you know, $100 million last year off that expansion. I don't even know the name of it. I never played it. My grandson plays it. I don't care. Why don't we just make another one? Why don't we just do that again? Do it again. Make another $100 million thing. I want more money. 
And, you know, it doesn't exactly work that way where it's like a one for one. Okay, yeah, sure. Make another expansion. It's going to make a hundred million dollar, whatever it is. And I, I just, uh, it's, it's this weird zone where, you know, every single decision Blizzard has to make, that guy's got to be happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he owns a lot of stock or him and his buddies own a lot of stock. And they just think that uh, of of what we're making, what the, what the game is as a product and a service that has a bottom line. So they go, okay, well, people leaving World of Warcraft, that loses us X amount of dollars. So you stand up a whole department to mid-max the amount of dollars to keep those people actually in the game. So what do you do? You jump to your game design department and you say, okay, we're going to make people log in every 15 days in order to get this item, but it takes a maximum of 20 logins to get it. Therefore, their their artificial extension of their subscription is going to be three or four months, which means they get this much money out of them, which means you get this much. It's like the the entire game design philosophy of Blizzard has had to revolve around extending time played on game over real world time rather than game time and has put the game design space in a really, really tough spot. And I don't see, and, and then they have to bank on the nostalgia of old players by relaunching the old content to get them to play the game again in a way that they remember being being really great, um, if, if, if it's accurately remembered, right? Um, so it's just weird. Um, I think we've talked about MMOs before. I'm not sure if we've really dove in this much on, on World of Warcraft specifically. Um, Zulu, I know you got the wow, the wow itch and I see you playing it on discord. Um, (laughs) but would love to hear your thoughts. You know, I know, I know that, uh, you know, as a world of Warcraft player, you've, you've criticized a lot over the years, but maybe Dragonflight will change things. Uh, maybe this expansion will turn it around and, um, and make us all better. But as long as there's that, that tall white guy, tall white old guy, um, wondering (laughs) where his money is, uh, I don't see Dragonflight changing, uh, anything soon. Yeah. Yeah, shame, 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 shame. Um, quick side note, Traveler's Tales, the people that made LEGO Star Wars or have made all the LEGO games, haven't released any other games other than LEGO games since 2009. Yeah. Little yeah. little fun fact there. So that's I all they do these days. I saw that they released like a Super Nintendo game. They've been in business since like 89. Uh, mm-hmm. They released a Super Nintendo game that I hated called Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, I used to play when I was a kid and it was just, a, it, I don't know what that game was ever trying to be. It was just not a good game. Um, so yeah, thanks TT games. Uh, you guys, you guys have been making gems since, since the, the early nineties. Um, oh, and, uh, one, one, uh, last section here before we take off, unless you had anything else, Matt, uh, corrections, we actually have a correction today. Um, if you want to talk on the, the first amendment, Freedom of Assembly oh, thing going on. Yeah. Um, Spo- yeah. This was a mistake made by me on our last Psychist episode. So Do you have it? Um, I got it in front of me here. Um, you know, guys, I don't I don't make mistakes very often. I speak very slowly. And I wanna time. I wanna give credit really quickly. This was pointed out to uh, a friend of mine, a friend of the pod. This was pointed out by Connor Hume. So Lucas, you can uh, right. get into that. So uh, <laughs> last week I talked about how uh, Pokemon Go. We are in our location based episode talked about Pokemon Go cases where people were um, assembling or you know going to Pokemon gyms in public locations that were eh, in poor taste, like a Holocaust museum, let's say. Um, go listen to our episode from last week on that if you want to hear more. Um, and, you know, there was a court cases or a court case that decided um, by a judge that, you know, this was a legitimate practice. People are allowed to do this and um, and it was totally fine. And that is a protected under the First Amendment. Uh, I believe I mentioned that it was a 
freedom of speech on the right of uh, Niantic, the, the developer of Pokemon. But what it actually is, is more likely, a, and this is coming from Connor, more likely a freedom of assembly protection, which is also under the First Amendment, paired with no law to regulate AR companies in public forums. So kind of a lack of law um, on top of sort of a First Amendment right to assemble. So correction. Yes, and Connor is a law student, so I'll just give him the benefit of the doubt. He's never led me astray before. <laughs> so thank you, Connor. Appreciate the uh, insight there. Um, all right, everyone. That's all we got this week. Uh, as always, you can find the podcast online on social media at TFP Podcast. That's at TFP Podcast with an S at the end. You can find us Twitter, TikTok, um, all that good stuff, Instagram. If you want to hang out with your good buddy Matt, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, good idea, Matthew. Great. You can find me on Instagram at Good Idea Lucas, and of course, hit me up on our Discord server. All right, loving everyone. Look forward next week, the twenty eighth. Our Elden Ring episode drops. Hint: only one of us will have be able to be in it by then. I wonder who it'll be. Wonder who it is. All right, everyone. This has been. Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Scooby Bop. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle. 